And the Bible says, without faith it's impossible to please God. And that's, that's right. Open your Bibles this morning to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter number 3. The Bible speaks regarding Satan and... Uh, Whenever we think about Satan, we need to understand that we're not just talking about a mere influence or a power. We're not talking about something that we've just conjured up in our mind. We're talking about a real person. We enjoy thinking about heaven, but uh, the fact of the matter is hell is just as real as heaven, Satan is just as real as, as God. and There's good and there's evil in this world. And the Bible warns us about, about the devil, and it speaks about his devices. I'll talk more about that in a, another message, but it's a sad fact that a lot of folks never learn how to deal with the, with the dangerous devices of the devil. And... For the next few weeks, I'm going to be speaking about that when we think about uh, Satan and the way that he works in our lives and the things that he uses to accomplish his purpose. Uh, we are going to be defeated if we're not uh, aware of what he's trying to do. General Douglas MacArthur had written an article entitled, The Requisites for Military Success. And in that article, he mentioned four ingredients that are necessary to win any battle. He said there must be morale, there must be strength, there must be supply, and there must be a knowledge of the enemy. And of that last one, he says this, the greater the knowledge of the enemy, the greater the potential of victory. Uh, Sun Tzu in the in the book and 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 I'm stumbling here because there's so many different editions of it and so many views about that and uh, and I'll never forget some years ago and the first time I, I'd never even heard of the art of war. Uh, you military men certainly had and. And the other day I happened to notice the, uh, a, a, a documentary or something on TV and, and they really gave a, an in-depth look at uh, Sun Tzu and the art of war. And it's an amazing story and the thing that makes it so amazing is that what worked way back then still works today. Those principles of gaining the victory over your enemy. And uh, in that, he said, all warfare is based on deception. All warfare is based on deception. The Bible speaks of us as Christians being involved in the spiritual warfare. Paul said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And he goes on and describes how that we wrestle against spiritual powers, rulers of wickedness and darkness. 
And so as the Apostle Paul is writing to young Timothy in regards to the the terrible times to come, he says here in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13, "...but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived." Several years ago, a well-meaning elderly man in, in our church, when I pastored in Cincinnati, in fact, he was a retired lawyer, a brilliant man, and for whatever reason, he brought me a, a, a book about the great Houdini. And I thought, what in the world do I want that for? I hadn't, I mean, I just wasn't a bit interested, but I knew that it was coming from a heart of love, and so I, uh, I accepted it, and uh, it's stored away somewhere in a, in a box out in the garage. But for 25 years, Houdini's name appeared in the headlines around the world, and he had the reputation for being the greatest escape artist that ever lived, and his fame lives on even to, to, till today. And that fame is built upon this one thing, and that is deception. Today, of course, we've got, you know, there's David Copperfield and all of these, these other guys that, uh, that do amazing things. I mean, make stuff disappear seemingly. You could go to Vegas and and no doubt catch one of the shows of what that, what's that guy's name, Terry, uh, uh, what? Well, whatever his name is. I, and it's, what? No, not David. I'm getting off track here. I'm listening to too many voices. That's the problem. It's amazing. And, and there you see an elephant out there, a car out there in one minute, and all of a sudden they wave their hand and drop the curtain, and kaboom, it's gone. What happened? Now, either there was not a car there, or <laughs> you're not getting the whole picture. And you know, we think about all of these illusionists and musicians and what have you, and, and their abilities, but none of them begins to compare to our enemy, which is Satan. And in this warfare that we're involved in, everything's based on deception. By the way, this goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And whenever you look back there, in fact, Timothy tells us here in chapter 2 of 1 Timothy in verse number 14, he says that Satan deceived Eve. He tells us Adam wasn't deceived. That dummy knew exactly what he was doing, and he did it anyway, but she was deceived. And you go back and you look at the story, and as it is described there in Genesis chapter number 3, it describes Satan as being subtle, which means crafty or skillful in deceiving others. And he's been doing it through all of these centuries now. He's still doing the same thing today. By the way, if you wonder about the greatness of His power, you need to just look over into the book of Revelation where it's describing what happens later on during the tribulation period. And 
Christ comes for His people and the tribulation period begins. And in chapter number 12, it tells us there that the Antichrist and Satan working through a man will deceive the whole world. Now think about that. It's one thing for someone to put on a show in Vegas and to stand there on the stage and deceive a handful of people. But we're talking about someone with the ability to deceive the world. That's a scary thought whenever you think about what we see in Washington today. To think of somebody having the power to sway the multitudes over to believing their right. And it's because Paul was familiar with this power that Satan has that he warned the church in Corinth. And he said to the church, he warned them and told them that they are to realize that Satan even appears as as messengers of light. In other words, His angels take on the form of God's messengers. And the point is, you cannot believe everything you see because you don't see the whole picture. That's why Jesus said concerning Satan that he is the father of lies. Satan would like nothing more than to deceive you, and I feel certain that in some way, at some time, all of us have been victims of his deception. He uses a lot of different things. Satan might use the charming personality of men to lead us astray. I mean, these people may or may not be educated They might just be so likable that people are willing to follow them. Think about that. Someone with no qualifications. You can make your own application here. No qualifications, no experience, nothing. And yet with the, with the ability to to gain enough supporters to, to rise to the highest place in his or her particular country. Now, you can't accuse me of making mention of any certain individual, can you? Are you with me? Someone that may be just a charming personality... It might be the reasoning of an educated person. Let's face it, when someone has the credentials from graduating, you know, from the prestigious universities, it's, you know, it's intimidating when you're trying to debate issues with people like that. You know, over the years, especially as a young preacher, I, I can remember years ago, it just really for a long time, really bothered me that that I didn't go to Bible college, I didn't go to seminary. And, uh, you know, you get up with a bunch of preachers or something, and somebody want to know, where, where, where'd you go to college? Well, I didn't. 
You, you didn't go to Bible college? No, I taught in Bible college, but didn't go to Bible college. Now, listen, I'm all for education. That's wonderful. But I'm telling you, a lot of young people have lost their faith, so to speak, as a result of going out here, not just to the secular universities, but the seminaries where some liberal professor got up and trying to demonstrate the greatness of his mental abilities, he just overwhelmed them to the point they just closed their Bible and said, what's the use? Nobody can understand it. And then Satan might use not just the charming personalities of others and the education of others, but sometimes he uses religion to lull us into a false sense of security. The Bible says, let no man deceive you with vain words. Listen to this. I want you to remember what I'm about to say. It's better to have no hope than to have a false hope. You, you see, if, if you have no hope whatsoever, you will be desperate. If you know that you have a need and you have no hope, you're likely to look for something that will provide the help you need. But when you think all is well, and it's not, there's almost nothing anyone can do to reach you. The, the drunk on the bar stool is much easier to reach than the unsaved person in the church pew. And here's the problem. Jesus talked about it in Matthew chapter 7, where He said that there will be many who will say in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not, you know, done many wonderful works in Your name? And in, in Your name, you know, we heal the sick and we raise the dead. And all. Yeah, I mean, boy, they've got their long list of all of their credits. And what they're saying in essence, if anybody is going to be in heaven, it ought to be us. And I want you to notice they do all of those things in Jesus' name. We're not talking about just being religious, being a Muslim or something else. We're talking about people doing what they do in the name of Jesus Christ. And He will say in that day, Depart from Me, ye workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. Deceived. Deceived by religion. It might be that Satan will deceive you by using sincere people who, well, just unintentionally lead you astray. I mean, they're trying to help and they give you advice the best that they can. They don't want to, they don't want to hurt you. They want to help you. But the fact of the matter is the advice they give is not helpful at all. It, listen, it might be the influence of a family member or a friend. Someone who has your best interest at heart. They really do. They love you and they care about you. And because of that, they are rather emphatic when they try to press their views upon you and they're begging and pleading for you to embrace what they believe is right. But I'm telling you, it's not always right. 
It might be your mother, your father, or grandma, or grandpa, or somebody else. They love you and they mean well, but, but they're wrong. And Satan, unbeknowing to them, Satan will use people like that to deceive us in order to destroy us. Now, Whenever we think about the devices that Satan uses, it's like, kind of like, you know, where do we start? I mean, do we just make a list of all of the areas wherein Satan is trying to deceive us? Uh, you know, uh, wh- what do we do? I mean, we all know, and it's just obvious as the nose on your face, that Satan wants to deceive people into believing they can sin and that they can get by with it. He convinces them that, you know, sin can be... It can be profitable even. And he convinces them to procrastinate. You don't need to worry about it. It's no big deal. You can deal with it later or whatever. And there's a lot of good people that have been tricked, uh, tripped up by bad things, imagining, you know, things that, that Satanists even put in their mind. And, and the potential for harm is great. And so... I mean, the list goes on and on and on, and we don't have time to deal with that. But instead of doing that, I want to think about four areas that Paul writes about concerning this matter of deception. Here they are. Number one, and this is really in the reverse order of how we normally would approach it, but number one, Satan wants to deceive you about the coming of Christ. Look in Second Timothy chapter number 2 and verse 3. Paul uses the word deceived or, uh, you know, deception again and again, and he says in chapter 2 and verse 3, "...let no man deceive you by any means..." No man, whether it's dad or grandpa or whoever it is, don't let any man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed of the son of perdition. Now, I don't have time to go into the details of and the context of that verse, but here's the point. Somebody had told those at Thessalonica that Jesus had already come. They had missed the boat, and there was no hope for their loved ones that had died. Someone had misled them. Somebody had deceived them. And Paul is saying, don't let any man deceive you. And the issue here has to do with the coming of Christ, which is something the Bible speaks about over and over again. Listen, there are a lot of folks confused about the truth of His coming. Some that, well, they they just deny it. You know, here I I stand up here and preach that one of these days, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, all of a sudden Christ is going to come in the clouds of the air, and the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. Listen, that's all Scripture. That's what God says. I didn't make it up. Amen. <laughs> and somebody said, I, I don't believe that. That's the a, that's a silliest bunch of nonsense I ever heard. Let me tell you something. Have you, have you ever wondered maybe about... Uh, it might be a science fiction movie and 
and a lot of them that, you know, that will have some reference to, to the Bible or prophecy. And let me tell you, when you think about all of that stuff that some guy has conjured up in his mind, and from the depths of his own vile imagination, he has written, a, you know, a play or a movie or whatever it is, there's a lot more truth to that than you can even imagine. If you don't believe it, you need to go home and study what the Bible teaches about the tribulation period. I mean, it's, it's otherworldly stuff. It, it really is. I mean, but you know what? I don't have a bit of trouble believing that. No trouble at all. That's the easiest thing in the world for me to believe that because I know that's what God said is going to happen, that Jesus is going to come again. And whether you're confused about the time of His coming or the truth of His coming or whatever, don't you let Satan deceive you. Remember, Jesus said, I will come again and receive you unto Myself, that where I am there you may be also. Now look in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. Here's another area where Satan wants to deceive us, and this has to do with our conduct. Chapter 6, verse 7. Be not deceived. There we have that same phrase again, same warning. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. There are just so many different verses in the Bible pertaining to these things that we don't have time to read all of the references. But here's the point. Satan wants to convince you that your conduct is not that big of a deal, that he, he wants to convince you that, that you can sin and be successful, and, and he puts into our mind the fact that, you know, that, well, yeah, you, I, maybe I shouldn't do that, but I'll be the exception to the rule. Let me tell you, there are no exceptions to the rule when it comes to God's Word. And He says that you reap what you sow. There are no exceptions. God's not a respecter of persons. Sooner or later, we all reap what we sow. Your conduct does matter. Even if you're a child of God, out of the will of God... God is going to spank the daylights out of you. God might even prematurely take your life. It can happen. Not because God hates you, because God loves you. He's not going to allow you as a child of God out of His will to sin successfully. You can't do it. In fact, the Bible says that if you... if you do escape chastisement, then you're really just illegitimate. You're not even a child of God. Look, God's not trying to make life miserable for the sinners here on this earth right now. God might let you have it a lot 
better and easier in life than, than his own children. He's trying to develop them, and in order to make them more Christ-like, he subjects them to pain and suffering and hardships. Because he knows that's what's needed to provide spiritual growth. But concerning the unsaved person, the Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads them to repentance. You see, your payday's coming someday. It might appear that you have sinned and, and you got by with it, but no, no. Your payday will be someday, and it'll be for eternity. Don't let Satan deceive you concerning your conduct. Also, don't let Satan deceive you concerning your company. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 and verse number 33. And he says, be not deceived. There's that phrase again. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. That word communications there does not have to do with our talk so much as with our walk and our sharing of the, uh, having our lives intertwined with one another. In other words, the company that we keep. Your company affects your conduct. That's why young people sometimes, mom and dad will say, no, you're not going anywhere with that person. Because they know more about that person than you do, and they know that for you to be with them, it just might get you into a heap of trouble. It's like the old preacher Sam Jones used to say, if you lay down with the dogs, you're going to get up with the fleas. And that's exactly right. Company will have an effect on your conduct. And listen, listen, even as Christian people, and by the way, whenever we, whenever we trust Christ as our Savior and we become a Christian, that doesn't mean we're better than anyone else. Don't you ever mistreat unsaved people just because they're unsaved and you're not. You're not any better. The only thing that makes you accepted is the fact that Jesus Christ died for you and you trusted Him. That's the only difference. But by the same token, the Bible teaches us that once we've been saved, we ought to be in fellowship with God's people. That's the purpose of the church. And if the truth is known, some, maybe some of you right here this morning, you spend more time with the people of the world out there, the devil's crowd, than you do God's people. And I'm telling you, just as Paul warned this church, it'll catch up with you. Now, here's the fourth thing Satan wants to deceive you about. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9. He wants to deceive you concerning your conversion. And that word conversion is an old-timey word that we don't hear much today. There was a time that people, preachers especially, used that word to describe people being saved. And they'd have a revival meeting and somebody would say, well... Uh, how many got converted? And they'd say, oh, we had ten conversions. And it's a good word, because it implies that a change has taken place. And I want you to notice what Paul says here in verse 9 of chapter 6. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Don't Listen, listen. 
Don't let anybody deceive you. That's what Satan wants to do. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. I don't know if you understand how, how frightening those words are. And this is not the only place that, that the Bible does this. Uh, again and again, we find that we are warned that if our lifestyle is habitually after the pattern in the course of this world, we've got good reason to believe that we've never really been saved in the first place. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand this because those of you that know me know that I believe that you can be saved and you can commit any sin. I mean, you, you can be a child of God and, and get drunk. You can be a child of God and you can lie. You can be a child of God and you can steal. You can be a child of God and blow somebody's brains out. But that sin you commit will be the exception to the rule. You will be acting out of character and under pressure. You'll be doing something that ordinarily you would not do. That will not be the habitual manner of your life. And John could not make that clear than he does in chapter 3 of 1 John. I mean, he tells us there clearly the same thing Paul is telling us. Satan would like nothing better than to deceive you about this. And that's why the Bible goes to such great lengths to warn you about it. That's why Jesus Himself said... I will say unto them in that day, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. Let me ask you this morning, do you know that you know that you know? I mean beyond any shadow of a doubt, do you know of a time and a place when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you know without any doubt that if you died today that you'd go to be with the Lord? I hope every person here this morning could say that. But here's what frightens me. And that's the fact that there's a lot of people that will answer yes to that question when the truth of the matter is they've never really been born again at all. That's the scary part. Deceived? Well, maybe even by religion. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Good question. Deserves an answer. A lot of folks profess to be Christians that live their life in rebellion against Jesus Christ. Something wrong with that picture. Don't let Satan deceive you. Several years ago, there was a fellow, they, I don't know his name, but they called him the human fly. 
And he was one of those fellows that climbed up the, the side of the skyscrapers. And he, he did it without any scaffolding or ropes or anything, just what you call that free climbing, or it sounds like more free falling to me. But, I mean, this guy had climbed up the side of buildings that was just mind-boggling and had been very successful. And on this particular day, he was climbing up the side of the building and he, he reached out and, and got his hands on what looked to be a clump of mortar. And he trusted that that clump of mortar, what appeared to be mortar, and, and fell to his death. And they pried his hands open and discovered that instead of it being mortar, it was cobwebs. Whatever you do, don't you put your faith in religion because it's nothing more than cobwebs. It'll never save you. Over the years, I, I, I can't even remember the number of times in meetings that I've seen preachers saved, preachers' wives saved. It's just, it's really amazing that so many people live so long before they ever get honest about their spiritual condition and say, you know, I've never really been saved. I haven't truly been born again. I don't know I'd go to heaven if I died. You see, the devil doesn't care what you believe if you never act on it. Just procrastinate. Wait till another time. I'm telling you, there might not ever be another opportunity. You know, I... I haven't been able to just sit down with Cameron and talk about his experience in that wreck and, and what have you, but I'll guarantee you whenever they, they got in the Jeep and they started down the road, they didn't have a clue what was about to happen. Right? You're, in a few minutes, you're going to go outside, go across the parking lot, get in your car, and you're going to leave this building. You don't have a clue what awaits you. Neither do I. You can't know the future, but you can be certain about your relationship with Jesus Christ and where and where you'll spend eternity. Don't you dare let the devil deceive you about it. Let's bow our heads together. Father, how we thank You for the warnings one after another and time and time again that You've warned us and I just pray this morning that you might speak to hearts. And no doubt, no doubt someone here even today that has been living a, a life of confusion and that's been deceived about their spiritual condition. Open their eyes and may the Holy Spirit help them to see themselves as, as you do. And may they, even this day, trust Christ as their Savior, for we pray in His name. Let's stand together, and as we lift our voice and sing this verse of invitation, Jordan Young, uh, a few weeks ago, Jordan Young trusted the Lord as his Savior, and I guess that's what happened, is that right? 
And so Jordan has been emphatic about wanting to do the next right thing, which is baptism. That sounds good to me. How about you folks? So Jordan, amen, Jordan's going to go back and prepare for the baptismal service, and I'll meet him there in just a little bit. But if you're here and, and God's speaking to your heart, don't let Him win another victory. And don't leave here today without knowing Christ as your Savior. While we sing, would you come? Whatever your need, Jesus is the answer. Search me. for your attention. You may be seated. Tim's going to continue to lead us in in a song, and we'll be ready for the baptismal service in just a little bit. Well, if you would grab a handle, turn to page 543, page Talk of all his wonders, love and care. Then when all of life 
to page 345, 345. Sing our blessed assurance. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a Submission, all is at rest. 
say stand <laughs> I'm just messing with you son <laughs> well isn't God good though I, just so amazing that, that the things that God does that uh, and you think about the fact that we don't deserve any of it at all but he just keeps on the blessing and the blessing and so we're thankful for it Jordan will be out here in just a little bit I hope that you will be able to stay long enough to come by, welcome him into our church family, and let him know that you're going to be supportive of him in his walk with the Lord. So let's stand. Brother Kenneth, if you would, lead us in prayer.